0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast, where you can expand your sustainable and ESG opportunities with insights from leaders in the field. I'm Paul Ellis, your host for these weekly conversations about developments in this fast-growing industry. I've been looking forward to having James Rich as my guest today. Rich is the key architect and a senior portfolio manager on Aegon Asset Management's Sustainable Fixed Income and impact venture credit strategies. James has 17 years of industry experience with deep fixed income expertise and a passion for sustainable and impact investing. As the key developer of the firm's sustainable investing framework, James uses a practical approach to pursuing competitive financial returns by aligning with sustainable megatrends. And we'll touch base on a couple of those megatrends during our conversation today. Hello, James, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance
1: Podcast. Hi, Paul. Thanks for having me.
0: James, let's begin our conversation today with your 2021 outlook for the green, social, and sustainable bond market, which has experienced a dramatic increase in issuance of sovereign and corporate debt in 2020.
1: Sure. Uh, happy to talk about that. Um, and, and you're right. Certainly, there has been a tremendous amount of growth in the labeled bond market in general. And labeled bond, of course, is inclusive of green bonds, social bonds and sustainability bonds. Uh, and there's been a surge in demand and supply of, of all of those categories of labeled bonds over the last few years. Um, which, by the way, I will uh, I will tell you from our standpoint is evidence of what we believe is sort of this ongoing secular shift towards a more sustainable global economy. Um, But, uh, you know, to kind of get into some of the numbers. So the label bond market in aggregate is about four hundred and forty four billion dollars in 2020. And the green bond market, which has historically been the largest part. was uh, 226 billion dollars in 2019, which is up from just 38 billion in 2015. So that's a 600 percent, almost 600 percent increase in in just four years. So tremendous wow. growth. Yeah. yeah. And, and we we expect that growth to continue. In fact, the green bond market in the third quarter of 2020, the quarter ended September 30th of 2020, was up 70% year over year. So just, you know, very, very strong growth across the board. And we expect that growth to continue. Maybe not at that, that you know, sort of, level of percentage growth, but there's definitely an increasing demand from investors who are interested in, in sustainable investing within the fixed income universe, and also an increasing interest from an issuer perspective because they recognize that there's tremendous demand for this. Um, and one other, one other thing to, to note is that historically the green bond market has made up the, the, the largest percent of the labeled bond market. But one of the things that we saw in 2020 is, is an increasing demand and supply of social bonds and also sustainability bonds. Uh, so social bonds were only 3% of the label bond market in 2019, just, just last year. And this year, they're 16%. Wow. So lots of, lots of changing and, and certainly growth within the label bond market.
0: So now, James, <laughs> you mentioned in the, your opening remarks this secular shift. Is uh, towards more sustainability focused fixed income strategies and, and issuance. Is that one of the mega trends that you're following?
1: Well, it's actually sort of the overlying, overarching mega trend. And then within that, there's a whole host of addition of, of sort of individual um megatrends uh, or, uh, or, or sort of sub-mega trends within that kind of mega trend. So things like climate change. Uh, and then there's a whole host of sort of sub-industry trends within that. So things like green building and mm. an increasing focus on recycling and composting services, um, increasing focus on energy efficiency through renewable energy, uh, hybrid and electric vehicles. So what we re- what we refer to as kind of the, the overarching secular trend is, you know, or, or sort of the sustainable megatrend is kind of this move towards a more sustainable global economy. But then within that, there's there's this long, list of uh, sub-trends that we think are reshaping entire industries and segments of the, of the economy.
0: That's really interesting. Well, we'll have to come back to those at some point in the future, but sure. one of the things I wanted to ask you today is that uh, there's a lesson that sustainable and ESG equity investors have learned during the last 20 years, which is that labels are just the first level of sustainable investing analysis. So how can investors avoid greenwashing in the fixed income markets since labeling bonds green, social, or sustainable doesn't necessarily guarantee the full use of proceeds in alignment with that label?
1: Yeah, this is a really important question because greenwashing, responsible investing in general has uh, garnered significant attention both from asset managers and then also asset owners and investors themselves. So. Greenwashing is becoming more and more prevalent within the fixed income universe. So you have to really be careful about how you analyze these uh, opportunities to make sure that they're truly sustainable. Um, so there's there's a lot in your question there, and I'll I'll try to unpack it in in I guess two main pieces. The first is with respect to labeled bonds, sure. and then also you know probably from my perspective um, even more importantly is beyond labeled bonds. Uh, there's a lot of opportunities to invest sustainably within the fixed income universe. But let, let's start with the label bonds. Um, uh, certainly, you know, when, you just, when you see a bond that's labeled green or social or sustainability focused, it's what we're finding more and more as there's this, this tremendous growth in the label bond market is that they're, they're, they're prone to false promises. Um, and so you have companies that promise that they're gonna report on their use of proceeds and they don't report. Or they report on metrics that are completely irrelevant to the projects that they're actually uh, using the proceeds to finance, mm-hmm. um, and you know. So one of the issues that we're seeing, and this is kind of a you know sort of problem within the within the label bond market, is that demand right now appears to be outstripping supply, um, and that suggests that there's there's you know there's there's back to my earlier point about sort of the continued growth, we think that there's gonna be continued supply coming to market over the next couple of years in the labeled bond market to, to start to match that demand. Um, and sort of, you know, one evidence that we see within the label bond market is that uh, if you look at the investment grade corporate bond market, we estimate that labeled bonds actually now trade inside plain vanilla non labeled bonds by about five basis points. And that's obviously sort of an oversimplification. It varies from issuer to issuer and sector to sector. But what that suggests is that there's actually a premium or one of the, the fun terms that people use is a greenium uh, within the label bond market, suggesting that there is sort of this premium uh, or, or, or there, there is this you know, kind of uh, demand that's outstripping supply. Um, and what that means is that every issuer on the planet is now very interested in issuing a green, a social or a sustainability bond because they recognize that they can actually get a cheaper cost of financing. So you have to be really careful as a fixed income uh, investor to make sure that you're um, avoiding pitfalls and, 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 and what you're actually buying is actually truly green or sustainable. Okay. And so one of the, the way that we do that, we have um, a five step process that we use to when evaluating a labeled bond, and it starts with use of proceeds and I think this is you know sort of the most obvious place to start when you're looking at a, at a label bond so looking at the actual what the bond is going to be used for what are they going to use the proceeds for are they actually truly green or social or sustainable uh, projects um, and then beyond that the next thing that we look at that we look at is governance so and what governance means is is there a committee that's been established to oversee the use of the proceeds and is that committee senior? Does it report to the to the board or to the CEO at least? Um, and does it does it include members of the C-suite or is it just a bunch of sort of mid-level folks and internally that they just kind of put together to make it look like they're actually doing something sustainable? So governance governance is important. Um, and then we also look at uh, frameworks. So by frameworks, I mean is it are they using something like the uh, ICMA's? green uh, bond principles um, or, or or another established framework that's kind of you know become sort of the industry standard the the fourth thing we look at is reporting so they, they make promises in terms of what they're going to report on uh, and how they're actually using their their proceeds if it's a new labeled bond issuer you don't have the luxury of going back to actually look at reporting from prior label bond issuances uh, which is you know can be a challenge but if they have issued a green or a social or a sustainability bond in the past, so you can go back and actually look to see if to see if they've actually met their promises, if they've if they've put their reports out there and if the reports are sufficient. And then the last piece is alignment. So, and what I mean by alignment is we look for evidence that the issuer is focused on becoming a more sustainable business um, and being a leader within its industry. They don't necessarily have to be there today, but Are they focused on being a leader in the future if they're not already there? Or is this green bond or this social or sustainability bond, it's just kind of a one-off thing, which could be indicative of, they're just trying to take advantage of investors and, and they don't necessarily have an interest in sustainability.
0: That's a great segue to my next question, James, which is what's your view on investing in companies that you consider sustainable leaders already? Versus those companies that are just starting their sustainability journey.
1: Yeah, and, and so this gets into um, you know that second set of investment opportunities that I mentioned, which is beyond labeled bonds. There are tremendous opportunities to invest sustainably within the fixed income markets, um, and so you're kind of getting at uh, you, you know what we call we have sort of this five. Uh, this categorization system where we categorize every issuer into one of five categories, a leader, an influencer, improver, neutral, or detrimental. Um, but, you know, when you, when you kind of step back and you look at the economy, one, one of the ways that you can actually invest sustainably within a fixed income universe is by looking for issuers with products and services and business practices that are aligned with one or more of those sustainable megatrends or, or, or sort of the underlying subtrends within a particular sector. Um, And the interesting thing is that that the entire global economy has to, almost the entire global economy has to go through a major systemic secular shift over the next decade. Um, And we call, as I mentioned, we call this kind of the secular sustainability shift, but there's entire sectors that need to shift and you have to be willing as as an investor in the fixed income landscape, you have to be willing to go along with issuers. So to your question on their, uh, uh, excuse me, go along with with the issuers on their journey towards becoming more sustainable. So on your question of um, the issuers that are early in their journey versus those that are already leaders, we call those companies leaders and improvers. I mentioned the five categories um, and those two categories would be leaders and improvers. And um, what we have found is that as I mentioned, because there's so many sectors and industries and, and companies that have to go through this, there are a lot of improvers out there. So you have to sort of think about them and, and think about what they, how they fit into a fixed income portfolio. Um, and what we have found, what our research has suggested within a fixed income portfolio context is that when you adjust for things like duration and credit quality, and other factors that could potentially influence the outcome, there's actually more spread or more yield that's available in the improvers relative to the leaders. And so what that suggests is that um, there's actually more alpha upside potential within those improvers than there is in the leaders. And and further, just one more point I was going to say on that, is that uh, Um, What we have found is the combination of the leaders and the improvers together in a fixed income portfolio is really, really powerful. Because what happens is when the market is rallying, you have that alpha upside potential that you can capture. If you can truly identify those improvers early in their journey to become more sustainable and they are serious about it and they actually dedicate themselves to it as they transition from improver to leader, you will capture that alpha. In a a market that's rallying, but in a market that's falling, like we saw in March and April, in the wake of the COVID crisis, you actually get more stability from the leaders than you do from the from the improvers. um, And it actually provides some downside protection. So the combination of the leaders and the improvers in a fixed income portfolio ultimately can generate better upside capture and also downside avoidance.
0: That's really interesting. I'm glad that you focused on both ends of the, the spectrum, if you will, because uh, one of the things that equity investors have been doing uh, back to back to uh, that perspective uh, for a couple of decades now is using voting rights uh, that they have as shareholders to influence corporate initiatives and to help uh, support the journey of sustainability uh, learners or followers yeah and and help them uh, get towards the outcomes that they're looking for but in fixed income investors don't have voting rights right. James so how do fixed yeah. income investors address these kinds of, of issues
1: yeah this and this is a, this is a good question and it's one that we get from clients all the time so I'm glad that you brought it up. Um, So you're right. If you're you're a fixed income investor and you're a lender or a bondholder, you don't have a vote. But that does not mean that you can't have an impact on the company. And the way that you impact the company and their business is by influencing their cost of capital. So what does that mean? Well, a fixed income investor has the ability to either buy or sell a company's securities. And if you do that, you are ultimately increasing or decreasing their cost of financing, particularly their cost of debt financing. Um, And so, uh, and and one of the tools that can go really well alongside of, you know, choosing to buy or to sell a uh, fixed income security is using engagement. Um, And what I mean by that is actually reaching out to the company and asking them for change or asking them for more information or asking them why they're doing something that you view as not being sustainable. Um, and the interesting thing about engagement is that two years ago, when you called out the investor relations department of a company and you said, I have a question about responsible investing or ESG. Typically, they'd never return a call. It would just be, you know, sort of a one way conversation. But that is not the case today. Companies realize that they have to take this stuff seriously. It's critically important to their long term success because they recognize that the investor landscape is shifting and they're demanding sustainability. Um, And so now when you call up a company, they will absolutely take your call and they will not only take your call, but they'll engage with you. And they'll be willing to have a long-term conversation and ultimately potentially make changes to their business. Um, And this is especially true when you can, can collaborate with other fixed income investors. So there's various groups and organizations out there, like the Institutional Investors Group on Climate Change and Climate Action 100 um, Plus, which will collaborate. W- which excuse me, which will bring fixed income investors together to engage with an issuer all together and essentially say, "Look, we own 30, 40, 50 percent of your fixed income securities outstanding, and we are demanding change because you are lagging the industry." And we think that as fixed income investors, that's increasing the credit risk, and we're not okay with that. And that's very powerful.
0: Now, James, uh, as, as you're very much aware of, because you invest in all of them, there are multiple sectors of fixed income issuers, including corporates, sovereigns, and securitized debt, among other lending facilities. Are there different approaches and factors to consider for assessing sustainability across these sectors?
1: Yes, absolutely. So the, this is something that's also very different from equity investing. Um, if you think about a fixed income portfolio, there's lots of different structures and entities out there. So you can invest in a corporate, uh, like just, as, just the same way that you invest in the equity of the corporate, you can invest in the bonds or the, or the loans of that corporate. Um, But then something like a structured vehicle, like a securitized vehicle, is very different. There is no, it's not a company. It's just a pool of collateral that's been put into a special uh, purpose vehicle for the purpose of financing whatever it is that they're trying to accomplish. Uh, And then you have the ability to invest in sovereign governments and quasi-sovereign governments and also municipalities. So there's a lot of different issuer typers, and this really doesn't This really doesn't exist within the equity market, and so it can be very complex within a fixed income uh, landscape or a fixed income portfolio um, to to try to address. uh, Excuse me, try to address sustainability on each one of these different issuer types. Um, But typically, the way that we do it is for a corporate. um, It's relatively straightforward, and I think people will probably find this um, you know familiar, especially if you're an equity investor. Is you're looking. From our perspective, you're looking at the percentage of revenues or the percentage of volumes or products and services, whatever the metric is that's specific and, and relevant for that particular sector or that business type, you're looking for the percentage breakdown. And what we do is we try to identify that the percentage of revenues that ultimately are aligned with one or more of those sustainable megatrends that we talked about earlier, those sustainable initiatives.
0: I wanted to get to our next two questions um, as we as sure. we're getting a little bit short on time to, today, James. But so let me combine the two also because they're both about the relationship that financial advisors have with their clients. Yeah. Uh, how can advisors help their clients put sustainability into practice in the fixed income markets, and what kinds of challenges? to investing sustainably within fixed income can advisors be aware of to to support their clients in overcoming these challenges?
1: Yeah, this is a great question. And the first thing that I would say and the most important thing is that you have to have a proprietary process. You cannot buy ratings or data from third-party vendors. There's a whole host of them out there, but what we have found is that there's a tremendous amount of discrepancy between all of the different providers. And so what that means is you have to, you have, to have your own proprietary process. And if you, if you can't develop your own proprietary process, then you have to find someone who has a proprietary process and can explain it to you. Um, because from our, um, like I said, our, our belief is that those third party vendors are helpful, but you can't rely on them to, ha- to actually develop a sustainable investing framework. Um, but but basically, there's there's sort of two, and I'll simplify because I know we're short on time. But there's essentially two key things that you have to do. It's a two-step process to identify or to to create a sustainable fixed income portfolio. The first is you identify those sustainable megatrends. So we talked about them, and we categorize them into five different groups: climate change, eco solutions resource efficiency health and well-being and sustainable growth and some of those trends that i mentioned renewable energy green buildings uh, sustainable agriculture even even on the social side things like uh, nutritious food and affordable housing so i start the first step is identify what those trends are what you want to invest in and which one of them which one of those trends you actually think have legs and then ultimately will generate alpha within a fixed income portfolio context And then the second step is go through the entire fixed income universe and find issuers that are aligned with one or more of those megatrends. So and and here we look at three different elements, three different dimensions of sustainability. The first is, as I mentioned, products and services. The second is practices. And the third is momentum. So in other words, how committed to it are they and and which direction are they moving uh, with respect to sustainability?
0: I see. Okay. Well, James, there's clearly a lot more to talk about when it comes to sustainable fixed income investing. And uh, so we'll have to do another program um, in the future. And I look forward to, to. to expanding on our conversation today. My guest today on the podcast has been James Rich, the key architect and senior portfolio manager on Egon Asset Management's Sustainable Fixed Income and impact venture credit strategies. James, where can Sustainable Finance podcast viewers learn more about your team's work at aegon Asset Management, and how can they get in touch with you for more information about topics we've discussed on the podcast program today?
1: And you can go to our website, which is www.agonam.com. That's A-E-G-O-N-A-M.com. And on there, you'll find lots of insights on responsible investing. We have a whole host of thought leadership papers that we've put together on responsible investing. And then if you're interested in getting in touch with me, I'm happy to to chat with folks. My email is jrich, so J-R-I-C-H at agonam.com. Or feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn.
0: Great. Well, thanks again, James Rich of Egon Asset Management. And to our listeners, please join us again next week for another episode. I'm Paul Ellis, your host for the Sustainable Finance Podcast.